Hi, I'm Jason, and this is another episode of Rewind and Review. As always, I'm joined by the guy who gets my senses tingling, Rob. That's right, your friendly neighbourhood podcaster. It's me. <laughs> Welcome to Rewind and Review, the retrospective podcast where we have a look at an existing property from the past, delve into its legacy, discuss how it's held up over time, and even give our own personal experiences. Did we watch it as a kid or sometime later in our lives? That's right. Now, this episode of Rewind and Review, we'll look at the, the superhero film based on one of Marvel Comics' biggest characters, which will be turning 20 years old in 2022, but also has a brand new film coming out this year in 2021. From this film and its trilogy, followed by a second series of two films to various appearances and a number of films set within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this character is bigger than ever. So grab your spandex, dodge those pumpkin bombs, and remember, with great power comes great responsibility. As we rewind to the year 2002. Swinging 60s, here I come, baby, yeah! Go back to then. When? Now. 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 Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. There's definitely a very slim chance we'll survive. Five years since DC's Batman and Robin, four years since Marvel's Blade, three years since Mystery Men, two years since Marvel's X-Men, and one year since, I don't know, the one. Jet Li's the one. How's that? Um, it was also the year that we took New York for a spin in the big, in the big budget live action Spider-Man. That's right. And directed by Sam Raimi from a screenplay by David Kep. Spider-Man is the first instalment of in the Spider-Man trilogy, um, with Spider-Man No Way Home on its uh, its way, uh, which will include a certain actor or actors reprising their roles or uh, alternative versions of those, perhaps. Um, from this movie, it's uh, it's a perfect time to sit down and talk about it. Should chime in there. I mean, certain certain characters from this franchise, maybe not necessarily the Spider-Man. Who knows? At time of recording this, we both have not seen. Spider-Man No Way Home yet. However, at time of listening to this, the movie has already been released. Um, my head hurts just even thinking about that. But we'll see, we'll see how wrong we all are. <laughs> all right, I don't know. Okay, this movie though. After being bitten by a genetically altered spider, student Peter Parker, played by Tobey Maguire, gained superhuman strength and the spider-like ability to cling to any surface. He vows to use his abilities to fight crime as Spider-Man coming to understand the words of his beloved Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. Be warned that if you haven't seen Spider-Man yet, but you want to, go watch it first before listening to this episode. We will be talking spoilers. Oh, yes, we will. Yes. Now, now, Rob. Yes. I'll let you go first. Uh, it might be the shorter of the two um rundowns but tell me uh your relationship with this movie uh with spider-man in general um dot point form will be fine <laughs> quick quick play-by-play -play. uh i was in year 11 when this movie came out so oh perfect demographic to be watching this in cinemas so i ended up by watching 
the whole trilogy of cinemas. In fact, every Spider-Man movie I think I've seen in the cinema, which is pretty amazing. Um, but this one, I've actually only seen it probably probably about five or six times. Like not, not nearly as much as, say, I think number two. Number two, I think I've seen far more and I don't, I don't know why. Maybe I just had a, you know, a better copy of it at home, you know, at my disposal. But I've seen it a couple of times. I'm quite familiar with it. But I reckon I'm nowhere near as familiar with it as perhaps you might be. Is that right, Jason? Uh, yeah, something something along those lines. Um, yeah, where do I where do I start? I mean, listeners to this podcast, that film's you, all of that kind of thing, um, you would know my my very passionate sort of connection with with Spider Man, my my adoration for the character, the movies, the um, the comics, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but I mean, like, look in the past as a child you know like i had like the the 94 sort of animated series and sort of things following there that i watched and enjoyed and i you know read the occasional comic book and i enjoyed them and you know like but it wasn't any sort of um crazy love affair with the character it was it was this movie um me as an impressionable um 11 turning 12 year old sort of getting exposed to this uh, this movie was to me like the definitive i guess spider-man like my whole life growing up so yeah i mean i think i was literally at that age where like i grew up into my teen years um you know literally from like an 11 year old to the year i graduated high school when spider-man 3 came out um you know with tom mcguire just like this journey with these movies with this character um probably had a if I was to think of or describe a movie, I guess, that had probably the most influence in my life and my cat and, and me as a person and the, the like my characteristics and I guess the type of person I am and, and all that. It might explain a lot of my winginess. Um, but also maybe my romantic side as well. Who knows? Um, but I think like this movie literally, you know, like many times we've talked about, you know. Jurassic Park and how meaningful that movie is to me and all of that. But I mean, this is Spider-Man and it, it was this movie and this trilogy of films that I guess kickstarted my whole love affair of the um, red and blue webhead, yeah. um, which, you know, led me to, you know, go back and check out the, you know, the animated series, even the older cartoons, um, read a lot more of the comics and then fall in love with the character and his stories uh, from there. And um, yeah, as the flagship Marvel character, you know, I'm very lucky that I get so much more <laughs> of this character in many different interpretations, which we, which we will get to. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, I think what I've said is passionate enough and um, I think sums up the, the connection to this movie. So of course I've got, got the merchandise, um, yeah watched all of the every spider-man movie at the cinema even even the rubbish ones and i don't mean the actual ones with spider-man and i mean like the like the venoms and the <laughs> and all of that um so yeah that's it that's that's pretty much sums it up i think yeah i mean you, you you've also tattooed you've also got an amazing tattoo of him as well so it can tell that he's left his mark, literally. Literally left his mark. He scarred me. Spider-Man has scarred me. Yes. So I've actually got to get that one touched up. It's a bit, it's looking a bit shonky. It was my first tattoo that I got. It was big. It was expensive. 
got it for my 21st. Yeah, now like his webs are looking a bit a bit dry, so I've got to get that done. Um, but I'll digress. Let's um, get into um, the legacy of this film, not the legacy that it's left on me and my life, but I guess the general, the general legacy. Rob, would you like to start us off with its budget and all of that? I can, I can probably do that. So this movie, it cost $139 million to make. And it made $821.7 million uh, worldwide. So a bit of a, you know, made a couple of dollars there. It was actually the first film to pass the uh, $100 million mark on a single weekend. Um, it was the highest grossing superhero origin film until uh, Wonder Woman in uh, 2017. It was the highest grossing superhero film of all time at the time of its release. And as of uh, 2021, it's the 22nd highest grossing superhero film. So <laughs> what does that tell you? Highest grossing film uh, domestically until Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle in 2018. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're just talking just sheer dollars. Come on, like it, it, it's it's legacy. It's there. It, it kind of paved the way a little bit, you know, with, with some of these Marvel editions before the MCU. And it, yeah, it really, I mean, we, we know it already, it already captured the world's attention straight away, you know, um, and it, and, in the box office receipts, it's quite quite evident, I guess. I mean, yes, it's very clear that um, it seems like Spider-Man prints money, but this Spider-Man film obviously was an example of, um, you know, like the idea that a comic book movie or a movie about superheroes could be taken, you know, somewhat seriously, that you could actually have emotional weight and depth in your in your comic book, you know, these, these little cartoon characters on screen. Um you know, like a real take, you can actually have a real meaningful sort of story told um, in them. You know, like we recently had like the X-Men films and stuff, which were sort of doing that, you know, Blade dabbled in it. But, you know, this was hot on the heels of, as I mentioned earlier, you know, like the the Batman film sort of took a, a bit of a, a strange direction, I'll say. Um, so, yeah, it, this did kind of pave the way um, for you know, just six years later, which is weird to think. Is that right? Six years later, we would get the MCU kicked off with Iron Man. Like, that is that is pretty weird to think. Is that maths right? Was it? Well, was Iron Man 2008? It was 2008, yeah. I'm just thinking, I was like, it wasn't It wasn't 20 years later, was it? It was, it was six years. That's how... Bizarre, like from this, I mean, this was back when, you know, like um, there'd be a superhero movie, maybe two, two a year from different studios. Not, not so much um, how it is now where it's like across three or four studios, there's like 10 <laughs> different times. Um, but, but another reason it made so much money and it did lead to many other successes was its critical rating. So, um, Overall, what they what they say summarizing: not only does Spider-Man provide a good dose of web swing and fun, it also has a heart. Thanks to the combined charms of director Sam Raimi and star Tobey Maguire. Now, Rotten Tomatoes has a 90% from 245 reviews. That's an average of 7.6 out of 10. Metacritic has it at 73 out of 100, based on 38 reviews. CinemaScore currently has it as at A minus. Um, our mate Roger Ebert, now this is interesting, gave it two and a half stars, stating that the film lacked a decent action element. 
Um, there were mixed feeling towards Tobey Maguire's casting and delivery of the Peter Parker character, um, but there was lots of praise for the Spider-Man costume, but criticism over the Green Goblin armor. Now I can I can sort of see I can sort of see what's happening here, um, and even like looking back now, you know, like we've had you know whether it's a positive or a negative, we've had different versions of, of the Peter Parker character and, you know, Spider-Man and all of that. And, when it, you know, you look back at this and at Tobey Maguire's sort of interpretation and I guess when we get to it, we'll talk about our thoughts on him and all of that. But, you know, like he is sort of portraying Peter in a, in a certain way. And I guess for a lot of people, it really works. People still to this day say that, you know, Tobey Maguire is their favourite, the OG, you know, the best Spider-Man, the best live-action one, I should say. Um, but, of course, there were criticisms, like, you know, like, he's, was he too old? Was he, you know, not the, not the right fit? Was he a little bit too dorky? Was he, you know, there's that. And then with the costumes, even though this costume is amazing, um, you've got the Green Goblin costume, which, you know, has been compared to, um, you know, Power Ranger villain, Power Ranger suit mask just with that helmet yeah but it's funny though we've seen we've seen like helmet like the we've seen the same helmet same costume in posters for you know no way home which features you know a green goblin that looks like this one and you know for some reason it kind of looks cool now. <laughs> but back then like as a kid i'm like it looks amazing but now i'm looking at it, i'm like yeah. it does look kind of hokey doesn't it <laughs> it's a bit silly it does. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. What I'd say is tonally, I feel like this movie is a little bit kind of dorky, in a, you know, and it's an entirety, but there's there's level of like, there's grittiness to it, you know, like um, and, oh, we'll talk about all of that. But, you know, just on this kind of kind of idea around costumes and things. Yeah, it, Green Goblin does look a little bit dorky and a bit, you know, hanky kind of thing, but he's, he's the men, like you still get the menacing portrayal come through from William Defoe, so it's like I think it, if if it was more serious, he might actually be too scary or too out too of scary. the tone. I remember, I remember around the time of this coming out, like a lot of criticism was aimed at, like, hey, you've got Willem Dafoe, this an amazing actor with such, you know, like the expressions that he can he can give and the you know the look of him and you want to cover him you want to cover that face that 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 grin well but there's a thing oh no we'll talk about it later we'll save it we'll save his outfit for later <laughs> and talk about, him. about his performance in his eyes like oh this is something about it so but um i mean like yeah i get it i understand the criticisms i get i understand it i get it um and they're probably you know they're warranted but uh i think some of it was intentional um, and because I think if it went too far to the point of realism, it might have actually uh, might have hurt the film more than um, it does having a bit of a, a bit of a nerdy kind of dorky kind of look instead. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the awards. So it won several awards, right? So it won um, uh, several awards ranging from like Teen Choice Awards to Saturn Awards. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, uh, one for best uh, visual effects and best sound, and you can oh I remember, I remember all the featurettes and you remember all the like the DVD commentaries and stuff, you know where yes I listened to them all yes 
you remember like just like the amount of effort they put into like all that you know the cg spider-man crawling up the, the wall but also compositing toby Maguire's eyes through like the slot the slits in his mask and things like that and oh they just did such a good job but um and yeah also uh, talking about awards um composer danny elfman won a satin award interestingly uh to you know when i watched this movie and then you know watching it with wife of the podcast laura watching number two tonight um i didn't realize danny elfman was actually did the, did the score for some reason your wife would know your wife would, she'd be like that sounds like that sounds like elfman <laughs> she definitely kind of uh was pointed it out to me <laughs> that should have been part of my knowledge not hers but uh but she's you know we know that she's a fan of danny elfman so she's uh she's on top of it she's all over it all right so let's get into a run through the franchise that we've got or at least i'm not going to go into you know like all the comics and um <laughs> I mean, every all of these movies have, or all of the like the modern movies anyway, have like video game tie-ins and you know toys and all of that, and of course, just yeah. all bits and pieces. You know, even even now, like standalone video games, the characters featured in in all sorts, whether it's a video game with like uh, just the Avengers or his own thing. Um, you know, I've got Spider-Man car seat covers, you name it, man, like cushions. <laughs> what else is around me? Just everything. I mean, this is a merchandise money-making um, thing and I'm part of the problem. But, so I thought I'd just limit it to the franchise, the film franchise. And do you know what? That's big enough in itself. Now, a lot of people might not actually know um, that there were three television films way before this movie. So starting back in 1977. So this is from, these are television films based on the Amazing Spider-Man um, series. So we had um, just a film called Spider-Man in 1977, um, Spider-Man Strikes Back in 1978, and Spider-Man The Dragon's Challenge in 1981, which sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Um, so these all starred um, a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Hammond, who uh, most recently has been uh, campaigning to... Get a get a spot in in one of these, uh, whether it's a cameo or a, you know a multiverse kind of thing where he can pop up. I'm like, someone chuck him a bone. Um, you know the sequel to um, what was it? Um, Spider-Man went into the multiverse or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe a yeah, just a voice cameo or something. Or <laughs> do something there. Um, look, there was also a there was also a Japanese film, um, also called Spider Man. Or if you want to be Japanese about it, Spider Man. I don't know. That was probably problematic me saying it, but I think I can get away with it. Um, this came out in nineteen seventy eight. Um, so this was again based on like like the Japanese Spider Man series, where much like many Japanese shows, you know, Spider Man rode a motorbike. He had a giant robot. He fought giant monsters, you know, the usual Japanese thing. Pretty yeah. standard. <laughs> it's great. Um, but then, of course, we get to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. So, of course, this film, um, 2002, uh, Spider-Man 2 in 2004, and Spider-Man 3 in 2007, which all had Tobey Maguire in the lead role. Um, we move on to 
um, Mark Webb's The Amazing Spider-Man films. So basically, you know, we had we had Spider-Man for ready to sort of go into production. They they had done pre-production work. There was a script written. There was artwork done. They'd even done a bit of casting. Um, right. And then Sony Pictures essentially went. You know what? We need. We want to change directions. Uh, we want to do something a little bit different. So what they did was pretty much do the same thing, just a little bit darker and grittier. Um, and, and so we got The Amazing Spider-Man in 2012, um, followed up by The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014. Now, these had Andrew Garfield in the role. And, um, yeah, you know, they made a few changes. Pretty much a lot of criticism was at the fact that it was like, hey, you just kind of did the origin story again, just with a different villain and a different love interest. You know, Spider-Man looks different. Yeah, it's a little bit different, you know, like, and there's bits and pieces you can pick and say, oh, it's a bit, you know, something new, but much the same. Then something crazy happened, you know, over at Marvel Studios or at Disney, um, you know, the MCU had kicked off. We had the Avengers. We had all sorts happening and people were crying out, you know, we want Spider-Man to join the Avengers. How's it going to happen? It's never going to happen. Disney and Sony can't work together. That's not a thing that, that they do. They're two different, you know, studios. The movie rights are with different companies. How's it going to happen? Then um, people had a conversation. Kevin Feige got together with, um, I believe it was Amy Pascal at the time. Um, and things got, things got going. Um, in the Russo brothers directed Captain America Civil War in 2016, we got the introduction of Tom Holland's um, Spider-Man in that film. Um, and that was, I guess, the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and what we call John Watts's home films. So Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. Then Spider-Man appeared in Avengers Infinity War in 2018. Again, the Russo Brothers. Avengers Endgame in 2018. Um, Russo Brothers again, of course. Um, and then back again in Spider-Man Far From Home in 2019. And now Spider-Man No Way Home in 2021. And again, as we're recording this tomorrow, we have our tickets tomorrow. We do. We are, we are excited indeed. Very now, before we move on to the rest of what's coming up with these, these films, because I know you want to get into that quickly, but I just wanted you to, to just to clarify, because you know more about this than I do. So the uh, the the film rights they they host they're held by Sony, aren't they? Yes. Um, but it's a, it's a partnership between um, Marvel Studios and Sony, but it's Sony hold the rights to the merchandise and things like that. Is that right? No. Is that how it works? No, so um, Marvel as an entity under under Disney have all merchandise rights. So anytime Spider-Man is successful, whether it's in film or, or whatnot, um, any merchandise sold will go to Disney. Um, that probably is probably doesn't probably not the same for say like you know like the like the video games and stuff like the PS4 video game. Um, obviously a sony product again not film division but i guess that's a whole different web of yeah. of things yeah. but if we go back if you, if you want an explanation of i guess how it's sort of all what back in the day you know like marvel as a company were you know pretty much yeah at bankruptcy so as a last last ditch effort to try and sort of save save the company it was like hey let's let's 
let's sell our sort of film rights to our to our characters to you know some film studios and see how we go that's how sony ended up with spider-man you had um a universal with hulk the x-men fantastic four over at fox daredevil was there as well eventually all of those licenses expired like through fox and stuff like that um and now they've all reverted back to like marvel studios yeah. disney whatever you want to call it yeah. the only one that hasn't the only one that hasn't expired has been spider-man and that's because sony keep making films um but we're very fortunate that marvel studios and sony came together because marvel studios does the production they make the film they pretty much do everything they create it sony pictures distributes it so it's still their film and that's why you will not see the home films on disney plus but you will see the um like the avengers movies and stuff with spider-man in them because they're solely uh marvel studios it gets very complicated it does it does but sony are still you know okay look we've got we've got spider-man playing in the mcu that's all great but we still want to do our own thing um and currently they've got two different things kind of going on and do you know what again after we watch this next movie maybe we'll have a different picture of what they're actually doing with marvel without marvel who knows um but look let's talk the animated spider-verse films um back in 2018 we had spider-man into the spider-verse focused on the miles morales character and other various other spider people's characters from um, different universes fantastic film amazing um you know one best animated picture at the academy awards there it goes um and we've recently just found out coming in 2022 and 2023 we, we will get spider-man across the spider-verse parts one and two yeah um that's actually news to me reading that um part one and two in, in 2022 and 2023 i didn't realize there was um a two-part sequel kind of coming that's fantastic yes so there was a recent like sort of sort of uh teaser trailer type thing and it's sort of like an announcement trailer which um revealed the title so we're going to get at least two parts who knows it could be more it could be more <laughs> but um but they're great fun but what sony's also doing is like i guess these live action villain anti-hero type films which started uh, also in 2018 uh with venom tom hardy in the in the role of eddie brock venom um and we had its sequel come out this year in 2021 venom let there be carnage which i've had my i've done my review i don't want to talk about that movie anymore <laughs> um now lots of delays and stuff from covid you know all that fun stuff morbius we should have had it already hasn't come yet but january 2022 so these these spider movies they're not slowing down we will get morbius next month how's that um jared leto in the title role um and then in 2023 we've got craven the hunter on the way and aaron taylor aaron taylor johnson i believe is the is cast right. yes which is confusing because he played you know, if these movies are integrated into the MCU, he played um, Quicksilver. So that's a thing. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's, it just starts to get messy when you start pulling it apart because there is only so many actors in the, in the <laughs> business that can, 
spread across all the multiverses everywhere. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to Morbius. Um, I was watching the trailer for that the other day. I think it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting one. That Jared Leto is he's just a unique a unique individual, unique actor. And I yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to a whole bunch of these. Spider Man, they can just keep feeding me Spider Verse stuff. I'm all right with that. I'm okay. And I think you'll you'll do okay with it, won't you? <laughs> I'll be I'll be okay, um, but yeah, yeah. It's just literally these Venom films that just haven't worked for me. But everything else I've been loving, even like the Spider-Man movies that aren't that great. Ah, uh, yeah, I still love them. I've still got a soft spot for them. Um, you know, you know the Spider-Man threes and the you know Amazing Spider-Man twos of the world. In terms of the legacy, I mean, obviously, like Spider-Man is is huge, is is amazing. I mean, is there anything that you want to add in terms of like the cultural impact and not just the cultural impact of me, but I guess in general? Because I had my head scratching when sort of prepping this part um, of the episode and I'm like, it's Spider-Man. It kind of speaks for itself, but I don't know. Should we put words to it or, or not? I think, I think you're right. What I'd say from it, like a cultural point of view is because we've had, so because there has been, you know, um, a kind of a cyclic behavior with the different movies and almost, you know, like a, you know, a re- reboot, um, what's the word, I guess, fatigue sometimes with these things, you know. Um, I, I remember when, you know, when Homecoming first kind of was discussed and, um, you know, people were a bit kind of over it going, oh, what, another one? Oh, right. And, you know, we're pleasantly surprised. But when you were talking about what this movie did and it started, you know, it started a trend of people perhaps, you know, really, really, really paying attention to the potential of live action Spider-Man, you know, and, and I think, you know, it's the reason why we've had so many reboots is I know the studios have been trying to figure it out, but from a pop culture and zeitgeist point of view, there's an appetite. We, the, the, the audience wants to see a live action version of this character. Um, and it all starts with the way Tobey Maguire kind of kicked it off with this, you know, I mean, yeah, I know we had the things back in the 80s, but we're talking about audiences of our age who are, I think, probably the main, you know, the, the main target demographic for this at the moment. Um, so if we're talking cultural impact, just the, this movie alone has paved the way for an appetite that just can't seem to, they can't seem to get enough of it. That's what I'd say to that. I guess it's just to add on to that, because that, that's completely like perfect um, way of describing it. Like, but, I mean, as time goes on, like... Um, you know, special effects and stuff get better. Um, and again, we will dive into the, the effects, um, you know, the quality or lack thereof in this film. But, you know, even, even so, like this, this movie, like, put stuff on screen that we had never really seen before, you know, like the things that the Spider-Man character is doing and is required to do on screen, you know, like flipping, just like, like just almost weightless diving around attached to buildings swinging through the skyscrapers like um i gotta say like even with technology uh, improving some of the best web swinging um just in terms of like scale epicness um even just the look in this movie is where it is um but i gotta say you know like i've recently just done a rewatch of all of these all of the Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man movies or live action ones anyway. And it's like, as you get to like the Tom Holland ones and you see him eventually in, in Far From Home, like sort of swinging through the city, I'm like, 
you know what? This looks pretty clean. This looks pretty, <laughs> like this is pretty good. We've come a long way. But it was still such an achievement back then. Yeah, I mean, but just think 20 years, you know, 20 years, and even at, at 20 years ago, look, I know we say the same things about things like bloody Jurassic Park and stuff, you know, <laughs> we're like, it still looks as good as it, yeah, it looks even better, you know, <laughs> but there's just something about like the way, so, um, you know, like there, there's weight, you know, you're saying there's weightlessness with him swinging around. That's true. But then, you know, when he slingshots things and stuff, you can see like the tensiles, you know, the strength, it's in there and it's all, it's not real. It's all CG, but they've managed to put a gravity to the way he swings around. It's quite, quite astounding, you know? So. It's like, yeah, like the, just the pendulum swing of it all where it's like he gets to the bottom and he lifts up and it's like something's happening there in the swing and it feels and looks real. But do you know what? One of this is going to be the greatest segue I ever make. But um, one something that helps that visual sort of work is the score. Is Danny Elfman's score, which is where I'm going to kickstart our main conversation about this movie. Is um, of course Danny Elfman. Um, let's just start with the opening credits. When a movie has, gives us their opening credits, where we basically get the score, you know, like. Superman the movie, you know, John Williams, you get to the, the end of those credits and you're like, well, shit, at least well, the music's good. I hope the movie's all right. <laughs> this is another one which, which the, you know, they don't do this anymore. But like you get essentially a whole sample of of the main uh, thing for this movie. i got to say, like, it's fantastic. It's it, in terms of... I know your wife's a big fan of Danny Elfman, but I mean, I've got to say out of all Danny Elfman's scores, you know, from Edward Scissorhands to, I don't know, Beetlejuice. I mean, he does think he's done heaps. But I mean, this is, this is of course my favorite Danny Elfman score. I mean, it has to oh, like, I'm so just so genuinely surprised. <laughs> um, of course. And like, yeah, like you said, I'm like, so like I said at the top there, I, for some reason, just didn't know that the score was a Danny Elfman, you know, kind of piece. But the score itself, I love it, and it's so familiar, and it's beautiful. And then just to be watching the credits, you know, in this most recent re um, watch, rewatch, and with the wife sitting there going, "Yeah, it's Danny Elfman," and it's like, "Yeah, oh, that's absolutely brilliant." I'm so glad that um, you know he was the composer of this. You know, it's such a remarkable and recognizable score, and I'm so glad that it's an Elfman piece. You know, um, and it's and it's oh, the way that it's the way that it kind of. Yeah, like, like you said at the top there kind of thing, it's the way it starts and sets up the the vibe of the movie and you're already into it um, before you even hear the, you know, the entry narration kind of thing. And and then it just, you know, throughout the rest of the movie, it's, it's such an epic feeling. And it's it's a, I don't even know, like I would, I was trying to think about how I would label this score because you know how some things are atmospheric, you know, and other things are kind of more, um, you know, kind of characterised to like individual characters and stuff. Like, I just feel like this is just, it's not epic, but it's fun. I don't know. It's hard to, I don't, I don't even know how I'd describe it. It's one of those, and it's one of those scores where it, like, it really works in terms of being, like, recognisable, um, what, again, iconic, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, uh, yeah. It works as a superhero, you know, thing as well. But it's like this one in particular for the character, it's like, 
certain certain like beats and motifs to the to the music like there's a bit like there's bits where it's sort of like it's just sort of like really light i don't know what instrument it is but it's like a little light drum kind of thing but the way it just goes it's sort of like it's like a spider climbing up a wall or it's like spider-man rapidly sort of crawling up a wall like i i feel like i feel that when i hear that and then when the music sort of crescendos it's like you know like it is like it's like a swing it's like a swing of a it's weird because i remember describing the john williams superman theme in pretty much the exact same way where it's like as the music sort of takes off it kind of makes me think of superman taking flight like it's a you know like the music sounds like the movements of the characters and maybe it's just because of the visual cues that have sort of made that stick in my head but to me it works when i hear the music i can feel the swinging man i'm really quite nutty about (laughs) i just trying to listen to myself speak and i'm just like what am i talking about but does it make sense or am i just full of shit (laughs) just tell me i need to know it does i can i can feel it the way you're explaining it yeah that is that's the vibe you know you, you feel feeling swinging through the streets and, and running up walls like it's it's there definitely and then you know it, and the way it um it's iconic in in, in the sense that you know when, it, when you're hearing in the rest of the franchise and uh like it's it's so it's rec- immediately recognizable and it immediately sets the tone and i i think it's absolutely brilliant they're really excited also to see what Giochino does and you see how many tie-ins and stuff there are with this new movie but that's another story that's another that's another po- it's a post this episode conversation. Yeah, all we, I mean, we could sit here and speculate about, you know, like if Giacchino is going to incorporate certain elements from this because the elements yeah. that need incorporated are actually what they're being presented out or it might not be what we think it is. I'm just saying it might, <laughs> we'll find out. But, but for the purposes of this episode, ladies and gentlemen, this score is incredible. And if you don't already have it on your Spotify playlist, go out and put it on there. Even when, like, the movie has its slower moments and more emotional bits, um, you know, the romantic parts of the, of the yeah. film, you know, where it slows down or, you know, the, the drama, you know, the death of Uncle Ben or moments with Aunt May, it's, yeah, like, even that's, like, beautiful music. It, fantastic score. Like, that, the, the score alone, five stars. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Okay. All right. Five eight track tapes. Oh, do we have to go that far back? You could have just gone cassette or something, or like CDs. <laughs> like... Five track tapes. There you go. Done. No worries. Okay. Cool. Let's talk about the movie in terms of the story that I guess it's it's being told. Um, what I've put here is like what we're getting is the origin story of of Spider-Man. Like this is the first big live action film. We're getting the origin. Um, but what I wanted to point out, which I thought was you know, quite curious, you know, like now we have our Spider-Man movies and, you know, one of the things they wanted to do with Tom Holland's one was like, you know, let's not do the origin story again. They kind of did that with the Amazing Spider-Man film and people got kind of pissed off. Um, and it's kind of like they're, they're doing weird and wacky, very different Spider-Man stories. Back when they were making this film, they didn't know if this was going to be a franchise. They just wanted to make a movie, a good movie, um, a, a movie that celebrates Spider-Man. So what they essentially did was they went for Spider-Man's greatest hits. And what I mean by that is, okay, we're going to tell his origin story. So we're going to show him getting bit by the by the spider. 
if you look back at the um, if you look back at the comic book history, you'll see that Mary Jane Watson wasn't you know Spidey's first love interest. You had Liz Allen, there was Gwen Stacy, there was Betty Brant, there was you know a whole lot, and then eventually the Mary Jane character was introduced. Um, there's a big story point moment where um, you know like Green Goblin throws Gwen Stacy off you know the like the bridge essentially and you know she goes falls to her death they went with that iconic scene at the end of this movie is yeah. paying homage to to that sort of those comic panels so they were like look let's let's do let's do green goblin he's you know like spider-man's arch nemesis he's basically the joker to to batman kind of thing okay so we're going to do the, the spider bite we're going to go for the the biggest baddest villain like the the main foe we're going to do the iconic um uh you know bridge scene um and mary jane's going to be the love interest not gwen stace or anything like that because mary jane in the comics was was endgame for for peter you know like married all that kind of yeah. stuff so she was the the main one so they, they pretty much went let's go all in yeah so they pretty much exhausted their main key story elements yeah in this in this first film obviously you know like they managed to set up for film going forward in spider-man 2 again great film and then yeah. go from there and you know kind of thing but yeah they used a lot of their their ammunition sort of straight up instead of really developing it um and at the same time like the time frame that they that they sort of cover you know like they had peter in high school which for the most part peter in the comics you know, over time, of course, he grew up and he moved on and, you know, college and got married and stuff like that. Um, and then eventually, you know, some stories, they, they address like old man Peter, which is, which is great. Um, but, you know, Spider-Man high school, we want that kind of drama. We want him, you know, no money, yeah. trouble in school, uh, you know, unlucky in love. And then in this movie, we get him in high school, unlucky in love. Um, yeah. yeah, kind of money troubles, sort of. More, more in the second one, but, you know, they kind of start to address it. Um, but they, yeah, they jump forward over time, like, pretty much it's like they they show that, you know, great power, great responsibility. Okay, cool, I've got to do the right thing. And then, boom, this tailor-made suit. He's saving people. He's doing stuff. He's in college now. It's like, whoa, whoa, this movie has so much scope. Okay, I'm done. You talk now. <laughs> No, I'm agreeing with you, and, and you know, you know, you are the the man who knows all the ins and outs of this, and and um, so the, uh, the the idea of the greatest hits concept, because I'm not as well versed in the law, <laughs> um, I hadn't really considered that, but I I can see it, definitely appreciate what you're saying, and yeah, definitely it it would it would make sense that you know them not not originally planning out a franchise, but paving just paving the way for a, a bit of a smash hit. They would put all the, a lot of big eggs in the basket um, to to really bring in, bring in that fan base. I don't know why they would have chosen MJ though. If if MJ is the end game love interest, I I mean I think I think Amazing Spider Man did the right thing with um, State Gwen Stacy and going through with that storyline of the death and things like that. But um, yeah, so interesting. The the origin stuff though, I, I noticed um, if we want to talk, you know, with the spider bite and all that stuff. Um, I really, really liked that scene in this movie where they were, you know, they were just going through that, going through the lab and you're seeing all the different spiders because 
you don't realize it at the time, but they're also introducing all of the senses that Spider-Man's about to get, you know, Um, with with the exception of like the, uh, the, I think there's a camouflaging spider or something, but I don't really, that's, that's something that you see with Miles Morales, but you didn't, I don't know if that's like a, is that, is that, is that like a canon kind of um, Spider-Man skill to turn invisible? Like, Nah, nah. Because <laughs> obviously, yeah, clearly, I had no idea about you know Miles Morales or anything watching this movie, but I just picked that up on the you know the most recent rewatch of like, oh, hang on, <laughs> it's, an inter- it's an interesting point though that you made. I was like, oh, okay, almost like an early Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, something, something like that. But um, but uh, yeah, I think I see what you're saying about the greatest hits, and I actually, I kind of, I like that they've done that. You know, I mean. Yeah, the rest of the trilogy might have um, kind of maybe not as had the same or, you know, as positive opportunities perhaps because of that. But it made this this movie just had a much more impact, you know, and and the Green Goblin's such an amazing villain and, like, yeah, just it's good. I don't know about the, the high school moving through the college and stuff, the timing, it did feel like it was rushing a little bit. But um, and then when you move into the second movie, two years have passed since... Um, Uncle Ben passed. So it's like they really, really do hit the gas on it. But um, pacing-wise, it doesn't feel like you can tell the time's jumping, but it doesn't feel like you're missing anything. So I think oh, yeah, like yeah. pacing in terms of like this film and it, like it feels right. It feels like a natural, very, well, like it feels well-paced. It's just when you step back and look at it and go, Holy shit! Did we really have to jump that far forward? Well, for again, well, I guess they they were making one movie. So I mean, watching one movie and watching one film, it's like, no, this works. This works really well. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Do you want to do you, you want to move on to this next bit about um? You want to talk about the style and design of it all? Yeah, I'll let you kick it off though, because I know you had some thoughts that you were trying to get out earlier. Um, oh well, it's just. Well, I, I, what I'd say with this, right, is well, actually before before I even talk about like the aesthetics and stuff. By the way, I thought they were, might have been just slightly a bit too older than what they needed to be, but anyway, just one hundred percent too old for, to play high school. Flash is Flash is definitely my age now, but he's in high school, <laughs> you know. But um, but I mean, Flash has got um, more hair in the movie, but anyway, um, <laughs> John Magangangolo. I can never say his name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. I cannot say his name. I never will be able to say his name, even though you've written it here in front of me. But um, it's still too hard. Just the style of the guy. Yeah. My fist breaking your face. That's the accident. I love him. He's great. He's good. Oh, it's really good. It is. Um, Anyway, so the style and design of 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 it all. Um, I really do like the aesthetic of like you know that like where uh where um, Peter lives with MJ next door and stuff. And like, it's all like that big long run of like neighborhood. Um, Well, actually, I guess that's kind of what I'm about to try to articulate is it's a neighborhood vibe, (laughs) you know, like his world is very closed in the way that they portray it. Um, And it's not like New York city is one of the biggest cities, you know, in the world, but they don't give it that scope um, unless he's swinging around the rest of it. It's all really, in like closed and, and close knit and like you know you've got the you know just the neighborhood villas and, and townhouses together where everyone's living in each other's backyard and all the alleyways are all tight and cramped and and I, I really like the way that they did that and everything's a bit dirty and grungy on the on the street level but when you get 
up into the sky where he's swinging around. It's like a little bit more flashy and bright and and, and colorful. And it's a uh, yeah, it's just a cool little contrast of him when he's when he is Spider Man when and when when he's Peter. You know, I like the way that they've designed it and just the aesthetic element of it. And the suit, I think, looks absolutely brilliant. Like the way that they, um, I guess, like yeah, the way that they they built that. I don't know, I don't know much about the comics and and what what he looks like in the you know from a kind of canon point of view. But I feel like they it's a good tribute. If I feel like they did a good job for it. But am I wrong in that in that sense or? I mean, in terms of the the suit, I mean, it looks like sure the raised the raised webbing on the suit is probably a, it is is just a movie thing. I would say. I mean, I mean, on the on the print, they just look like lines. You know, like his webbing just looks like. But in terms of like the color, like this is a standard, just a standard suit, like standard accurate, but page accurate suit. You know, the yeah. the red and blue is where it should be. Um, the spider logo is sort of, you know, where it should be. Could be bigger. The eyes could be bigger, but that's okay. The logo is a bit elongated, though, isn't it? Is it? Um, oh, I actually get the like the Toad McGuire one's changed a few times. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 pretty it's pretty that comic accurate. I think the Andrew Garfield ones went really long, like long legs. Uh, yeah, and then you got. And Tom Holland's kind of shorten it right up. What did you What did you think about if you're just talking aesthetics? And then well, design? I want to. I agree with you in terms of like, like the size difference of like you know like if he's really enclosed and tight when he's sort of in Queens when he's you know at home and and stuff like like everything's like quite tight and then when he's Spider Man he's free running around like you know swinging around the city it's all very big and wide like 100 like and I guess that's sort of to show I guess that that freedom also to show that he sort of is from, you know, he's not that well off. They just live in a small sort of little dingy kind of house, nothing too flash. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're about. Um, but even when you get to the city, like this is, this is something I've noticed about these, like the Sam Raimi trilogy. There's a certain tone and look to, I guess, aesthetically how New York City is portrayed, even just the skyline and stuff like that. There's almost a there's a dullness to. I know you, you mentioned like lights and things like that, but I've got to disagree with that. I feel like the city is very like it, it's it's dull and it's like Spider Man's the brightest thing on screen, where everything is just sort of sort of mute a little bit. And there's sort of this aesthetic, this weird almost like even though there's certain elements that make it seem like, and again when I say modern, I'm going to refer to 2002 as being like modern, but it's almost like there's a certain things that make this feel modern but at the same time a lot of stuff that makes it feel almost timeless like you can't quite put a date on things and you know a lot of the vehicles aren't very modern in terms of again again 2002 um no one has cell phone or mobiles none of the tvs and stuff like that are like that high tech they're all very almost timely um you get to like the daily bugle and it seems like a you know a like an office from like the 70s <laughs> like it's it's very there's something there's a there's a certain style that this movie kind of went for that kind of put this in its own kind of realm almost like almost like this spider-man couldn't exist 
in the MCU <laughs> or, you know, like other films around, like even like say, like the other movies around with this time. So yeah, like, you know, like your Daredevils and your Fantastic Four, like Fantastic Four was very bright and bubbly and, and all that. And then Daredevil, you know, even though a little bit grittier, still had this almost like a real sort of New York feel about it. And suddenly it's like, even that style mixed with this film wouldn't really aesthetically work. They would seem very different just because Sam Raimi had such a, um, an artistic sort of spin on things. That was not a real, that was an accident pun, that one, that spin. I didn't mean that one. <laughs> but like you compare it to like, you get to like the Amazing Spider-Man and like there's, you know, especially like, I think the, the first Amazing Spider-Man film Andrew Garfield, he's swinging through New York, like, you know, at nighttime. And it's like, there's like neon lights, everything's lit up. Like every building, every skyscraper has like an immense amount of lighting and different bits and pieces, which, you know, probably is more realistic to what New York City would look like at nighttime. Where yeah. this almost seemed like it was from, you know, like, from like a movie about yeah. Wall Street, <laughs> you know, a movie about Wall Street in New York City, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> welcome to New York, yeah. all right, and like everyone, all their accents, like in the city, <laughs> they're all very, very strong, just New Yorky kind of accents, whereas later on you get sort of more of a mix, which seems a little bit more natural, like, you know, all types of ethnicities and, and things, which sort of adds to the, the realism. Um, yeah. But again, I don't, I don't knock that style. It's just, it's just something that this, this movie and the, these movies have. I mean, they continue it into the next two films. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but even though, like when you get to like, you see like, um, like Oscorp, um, and even that lab with where the spider is and, and all the spiders, spiders and stuff like that. It, again, like everything seems sort of almost. I don't want to say cheap. But, but it's like just the, the design and style of things and the technology that's in there. It almost seems like everything looks like a prop, not necessarily in a bad way, but it's just, it doesn't look glossy and really over the top fancy. It just looks like, Hey, we're making a movie. Like we're just, we're just making a movie. There's the scene at the, um, um, at the world unity fair, where like you know harry and mj are on like the balcony and then that balcony is falling and it like mm. it just looks like they're on a set and the the, the balcony is is just dropping like it's yeah. a bit of wood with like foam and, and again it looks good and it works yeah. it just has this certain style of it again it's not a negative it's it's just there's a certain style to it that just makes everything look a little bit hokey but it's kind of the yeah. fun. It's kind of goes into the fun of this movie and its style, and it works oddly enough. Kind of, kind of in line with what we were saying at the start around tone, and maybe some of this is, is intentional. You know, to make it a bit hokey and a bit, bit dorky in a sense. You know, it's it's a, it's an aesthetic choice to um to have these different elements. So, you know, maybe it isn't as jarring because you know the, um you know there's plenty of action in this movie which. which Obviously, Roger Ebert disagreed with apparently, but um, you know, it's, you know, Green Goblin bloody blowing shit up everywhere, left, right, and center, and you know, it's it, it's in if you if you're targeting at you know a PG audience, you've got to you do actually have to be mindful of you know what, what kind of tone and atmosphere you're producing, and part of maybe the set design kind of fed into that, I guess. 
there's definitely sure. there's definitely a big cheese factor of this movie. Even those things get kind of you know can get a little bit heavy, especially at the end where it's like you know like Spider Man's pretty much been like blown up. His like mask is half off. There's blood coming out of his mouth. Like it gets pretty gritty. It does look kind of nasty. You know, Green Goblin's getting impaled by his glider. Don't tell Harry. You know, like it's a whole thing. But at the same time, you've got you've just got these cheesy moments like Peter, you're a son to me. The Green Goblin's got me. Or like you know, Norman talking into the mirror. You know, like attack his heart. We must attack his heart. Or pretty much any scene between Peter, like especially in the backyard, Peter and MJ, just like, I see you, I see you lining up Broadway. Like, get out of here. Like, it's so cheesy. The scene in the hospital, the scene in the hospital when Aunt May is like lying there, like on her deathbed. No, she's not. She's she's awake. She's spinal. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I said, I said, Spider Man, uh, Spider Man. And Mary Jane looks at you. She, and it's like he goes on, and it's just like, what is? Yeah. Like, I felt uncomfortable watching this with my wife because I'm like, she knows how much I love this movie, and it's like sitting there, and you know, like she's obviously, you know, romantically involved with me. I hope still, um, and it's just like you're into this, and I'm like, no, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's pretty corny, pretty cheesy, <sighs> yeah. cringy, cringy is what the kids say. It's a bit cringe. Yeah. Yeah. The cheese and the cringe are kind of sitting with Toby Maguire, but I think um, MJ's kind of reactions to it all, like she laps it up and loves it. Like she's genuinely, like the emotions there in her face, like she's really, really impacted by what he's saying, which also adds to the level of campness in a sense. It's like <laughs> the most cheesy thing you said and he's, and you're like swooning hard because of it. It's, uh, it's brilliant. I think it's it's great. She should probably... She... she, she... <laughs> With like MCU and stuff, I don't think you know. He definitely needs to make up her mind though, because she's going from like boy to boy to superhero to boy to I don't even know what. Flops <laughs> a lot, She flip flops a lot. Who do you love, man? Let's talk about Spider Man, I guess. Let's talk about Peter Parker. So Tobey Maguire, let's go. Let's go all out. What do you think of Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker? This interpretation. All that. so awkward <laughs> it's so and it brings back so many things like this like oh that scene where he waves to MJ but she's waving to the people behind him and then he's like oh I can relate to that so much man but then there's other things where he's just so over the top just I don't know like ah, oh, I don't know how he functions I don't get it like he just <laughs> He's just not a cool person at all. Actually, I read this thing, you know. Um, so, you know, you got you got different portrayals of, of Peter Parker over the last 20 years. Mm. And so you've got, like, if you're talking who the character really is in the book, comic books, you've got he's an awkward but he's a cool, smart guy, right? Tobin Maguire absolutely just nails the awkward, just nails it. Doesn't really have too much of the cool, smart stuff. But then you've got Andrew Garfield just nails the cool, smart stuff. And then you've got... Um, Tom Holland, who just does it all so very well. So, but this this interpretation, like Tobey Maguire's interpretation of Spider Man and Peter Parker, it it is very, it's very campy and it's very like just yeah, so awkward. But I think maybe that's intentional. Like I do 
I feel like it's in, he's intentionally playing it the way like Raimi wanted it to be that way. Um, and I think I don't know what Maguire is like when he plays the straight character, but you know, in these movies, in this movie in particular, I kind of just yeah, I felt like the skin crawling on the back of my neck <laughs> with some of his. It's that cringe coming for you. No, I mean, no, like Toby Maguire is like. He's actually he's a phenomenal, like he's a fantastic actor. Like he is he is great. He just needs some better roles sometimes, but he has done some good things. And you're right, like Sam Raimi has a certain like flair, like a certain flavor, I guess, even with his actors and the performances that he wants from them. I mean, and that is that is that cheese and that, you know, like take the um, you know, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. Um, sort of films like it's nutty, a little bit over the top, you know, fun. He's bit. got the style, the style and stuff to it. So I mean, I guess we can't blame <laughs> I guess for all of that. Um, but I think, I mean, at the time, like I was, I mean, again, young, impressionable. I was a child, um, but I was like, you know, like this interpretation of this character, and this performance. I was all for it. I was like, you know, like this is obviously it had a big impact and influence on me so i must have liked something about it but it is tricky after watching multiple sort of interpretations of the peter parker character both in live action and also like you know different whether it be comic books or animated sort of uh you know interpretation i find that watching the toby Maguire performance is kind of difficult now like almost 20 years on i'm like I'm not really sure I'm really into it. And that's why I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, why is everyone so, uh, like, enthusiastic about getting him incorporated into the MCU? I just feel like, in some way, even though, you know, you can love these movies as much as you want, mm. I just feel like it's, it's not something that meshes. It just doesn't go. And I just don't see the appeal in including it with them. But anyway, uh, we'll talk about that in <laughs> later it would have been something else. um yeah yeah it's like it's like it, it's tricky because like what we're what we're not really getting here we're getting a like we're getting a spider-man that kind of quips a little bit but they're almost like they're not the best burns so it's like when peter parker puts on his suit his mask he's supposed to almost become this overconfident overzealous, smart ass, smart alecky, um, yeah. cheeky son of a bitch. And you get moments in this when, you know, he'll, he'll throw out a one-liner or something, but it's like, it's just because they're so cheesy and I was like, they just kind of fall flat. I'm like, you're not really affecting anybody. Like, oh, nice outfit. Did you, what does he say? Like, did your girlfriend make it for you or your mom make it for you or something? It's like, well, oh yeah, good one. Good one, Spidey. Yeah, good job. Whereas it's like, no, you should be the smartest, smart ass in the room. And we're not quite getting that just yet with him. Yeah. Um, well, and, he, and you find that it progresses. I think that, um, like in the, in the other movies, you, you see different interpretations that might answer that. What I feel like um, guy is doing is we're getting more Peter Parker than we get Spider-Man in this. And, and what I mean is, is that is that dichotomy of the character? You don't. You're right. You're not getting the, the quippy, smart ass stuff. With you, you get you get Peter Parker in a suit. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you're barely getting any dialogue at all, really. <laughs> like, but you, yeah, you're getting yeah, Peter Parker in a suit at the at the best. But most of it is focusing on Peter Parker without the suit. I think, um, like most of the depth that you're getting from the character um, from Maguire's performance, it's not about yeah, it's not about the changing of the tones um, when he's when he and the confidence when he is and isn't wearing a suit. It's it's all about Peter Parker and how he's struggling, um, really. I mean, and that that is a that is a good thing. Though. I mean, like to have your focus be on the character, which is Peter Parker, and that's what this movie does well. Like it, it does focus on him, and he is like it's not all about the the amazing things that that Spider Man can do, but it is a core part of his character that you know, like he does have this extra confidence when he does put that suit on, and we should see that difference. But this movie chooses to sort of have him still be the same peter parker in the suit just he can now jump flip and stick to stuff <laughs> yeah that's right so oh, i don't quite understand the physics of it at all but um it's fine it's all right <laughs> the um so basically he can he can jump flip and stick to stuff <laughs> that's all you need to know science in some way do we need to do we need to quickly talk before we move on to other characters but about how you know just that kind of transitioning element where he's learning his skills and stuff. Cause I do feel like there, um, it might, a, it might be a little bit of sexual innuendo in there around, um, how he's, uh, I guess he ejaculates his bloody. Oh, <laughs> my, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, <laughs> that, it's a good point. We should talk about his organic web fluid. Yeah, actually we should, shouldn't we? Because it isn't canon, is it? I mean, this canon, was a, yeah, this was a controversial thing as well because we, traditionally in the comics, um, it was you know always web shooters. You know, Peter Parker was you know, super duper smart, so he created web shooters himself. Um, and I think in the I think it was the Ultimate Comics um, that sort of I, I believe it was the first introduction of organic web shooters. Um, and Raimi decided to go with with that in um, in these films. I think his reasoning was like he thought it was unrealistic that a kid could create such an amazing product in terms of like creating a web shooter so i was like i hey, just have it come out of his body naturally <laughs> and it's kind of gross if you really think about it and again another reason why i can't have toby Maguire meet tom holland and then then have a conversation about like hey i've got web shooters you have web shooters like mine just come out of my skin <laughs> like that's disgusting it will be really, really interesting to see how that's tackled if, if that's what reality we're about to go into. <laughs> I still don't think. I, I still think they're in it. Again, I'm making that clear. Yeah, they, they may, they may or may not be. We'll see how it is. We might just get multiple Tom Holland's. But anyway, we're distracting from oh. this movie. So yeah, so he does have gross uh, ejaculation out of his wrists, and you do have the uh, the scene. It's just also the hand movements and stuff it's just it's just not that fun <laughs> oh the scene in the scene in the bedroom where he's practicing and there's that great dr pepper product placement it's great fantastic and he breaks that lamp and then arme knocks on the door and it's like i'm not dressed arme what are you doing nothing I'm working out yeah just like web spoof all over the room <laughs> it's a perfect analogy for teenage boys basically <laughs> Um, but yeah, even like when he when he first gets bit and like he wakes up that that next morning and it's like he's looking in the mirror and he looks down and he's just like, yep, big change. <laughs> like, 
yeah, and that's the thing. He's looking. He's looking down. We're looking at his chest, right? That's what we can see, but mm. he can't see his chest that well. He's clearly looking at his package, right? So it's like, well, I mean, that's that's the connotation you get. So they definitely play it up. There is a lot of there is a lot of like, um, yeah, stuff about too, you know. So yeah, I think there is a lot of like comparisons to, um, I guess, like puberty and adolescence and stuff. I mean, even even later on, like you know. Um, Uncle Ben's like, you know, you're going through changes and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I know I went through the same. It's like, not exactly. It's like, you know, like, they are, they, oh, yeah. Little things like, oh, yeah, what's what's up with him? It's like, teenage hormones, you know. <laughs> Here's what it is. Like, they're, they're playing it up for this 30-year-old man. Or, oh, he was in his 20s. I don't know. Something like that. Um, but, yeah, like, when he, was, uh, when he was learning to sort of do all of his bits and pieces and, you know, shoot webs and stuff, like, off the building and he goes for his first swing, like, yeah. pretty funny, pretty funny thing where he's, like, got all the different hand gestures and he's just like, go, web, go, yeah. Shazam! <laughs> like, <laughs> he does, like, the bullhorns and stuff like that and it, and it gives him a couple of extra, like, yeah, and he's just trying to figure it out, which I think is very, it is very funny. It's kind of adorable and stuff, but <laughs> yeah. But that's also like the, I just don't, I can't see, like, I mean, when you think about it, then what, what else, what would you do in the situation when you're just trying to figure out how the hell you shoot things from your wrists, you know, like. I mean, yeah, I'd just be, I'd just be squeezing my hand in different ways and like poking myself in the wrist and being like massaging it maybe until it squirts out a little bit. That wasn't meant to sound as dirty as it did. Uh, but yeah, but instead he's just like, go web, go. And, and all, yeah, but I don't know. It worked. I thought it works with the character. Yeah. Right. Like I said, like, look, there are, there's a charm to this movie and this character and, and Tobey Maguire's performance. Like there is very charming and lots of little funny moments, but I, I, I guess it's like a lot of that humor is coming from just how awkward and uncomfortable everything is. It's just like, oh, like it's so, yeah, yeah. so awkward. Um, and I just I want to point out one of the one of the major goofs that I see every single time. The first time he got climbs up that wall in that alley, um, yeah. and they filmed it was that he's actually just crawling across like the floor kind of thing and then they flipped it and did a whole thing but you can actually see his like sweater kind of flopping down a bit because of you know gravity so as he's climbing up the wall like his sweater is sort of coming off his body as if it's dropping to the floor just a bit of a next time you watch it you'll see it you like, damn it i mean it, may, it makes sense though doesn't it you know like as in but it's probably a big oversight though you know god Anyway, well, now and now, now I won't be able to unsee that. You'll never unsee it. Yeah. Like, what do you think of even the bit where he looks at his finger and it's like those like weird hair things yeah. coming out? It's just like, what is that? <laughs> like, it's such a weird, such a weird thing. It makes me think of, um, I mean, this movie suffers from um, the, uh, the parody movie sort of effect, which um, looks much like how Scary Movie ruined a lot of um, horror movies for me because now I can't take them seriously. Um, superhero movie, one of the, um, I think this was like one of the last like kind of, I want to say decent-ish, not really, um, sort of satire films until, 
you know, then we got all the rubbish like epic movie and stuff. But superhero movie focused a lot of um, it's been on like a, a parody of this film. And there's just a bit where like I think what is he like the dragonfly or whatever, and it's like he's looking at his skin and there's these weird hairs, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's normal." Like, that's... <laughs> yeah, and I, if I'm if just to talk about it though, I don't see how those little hairs will actually help you grip onto a wall you know what i mean like, i guess they're meant to be they're like spider things and i guess they're just meant to be whatever spiders have i guess yeah. science science i wasn't sure if it would actually help you defy gravity like they're not that much the friction wouldn't be that great to actually hold you in place but yeah a question a question i've always asked is like okay number one if he has the suit how does the sticking still work and also when he wears shoes wow yeah. why is he still sticking to stuff <laughs> like two yeah. questions yeah. also he's uh, he hasn't cut little holes in his wrists to shoot web out but he still still does doesn't like get all shot up into his gloves and stuff he doesn't shoot his glove off you know mm-hmm. like where did speaking of the suit where did he where did he get that suit like that suit is amazing that's super super because a million dollars what? Well, I watched I watched the video of somebody who was uh, making a, a cosplay of it, and they, they, it wasn't an easy task to do, that's for sure. So, um, and I don't know how he made it with uh, <laughs> a, a material that doesn't bloody deteriorate when you're getting slammed around and falling <laughs> off. The best way to explain where he got the suit from and is to basically gloss over it with a montage of some some super yeah. saves. Um, throwing a throwing a Lucy Lawless cameo, and we're good. We are good to go. <laughs> Thank you, Zena, Warrior Princess. Yeah, all good. Yeah. Um, I like it. Actually, speaking of um, speaking of cameo, because obviously Lucy Lawless, um, you know Sam Raimi, his connection to the Zena and Hercules TV show, um, but also Bruce Campbell, again a veteran from those series, is long time. Um, affiliate of Sam Raimi's, you know, the Evil Dead trilogy and all of that. Um, yeah. So he's got his first cameo in in this film as the the wrestling ring announcer. And of course we get him back in Spider-Man 2 as the snooty usher and then the uh, yeah. the Mater Day in um is that what they're called? The yeah. yeah, the French guy in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Yeah, got yeah. So yeah, I saw him just you know in in number two just this evening, and but um yeah, I recognise him straight away as a, as the ring the ring uh what, what do you want to call him? I guess the announcer, yeah. Yeah, the wrestling announcer. You <laughs> said because he goes, I'm the human spider. He goes, that's a bullshit name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sticks. Spider. Yeah, he's the one who comes up with Spider Man. How how good? Just these random people like all over the city, just sort of influencing the, the creation of Spider-Man. The wrestling announcer names him. Um, there's that one guy in the subway station singing that song. That, yeah. <laughs> Coming up with the Spider-Man song. Yeah, just give him one big hug. We've got the, um, the Asian lady who's plucking a violin string and singing the Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, she's, she's got the refined version. in the in, That's in the second film. But, uh, yeah, she's got the refined version and then later in the third film they're playing an orchestra version of that song that that asian woman was plucking so she must be rich now unless she unless she was just doing a performance of a pre-existing song that someone had come up with either way the people in new york city have come up with the song (laughs) as a joint effort 
There's no uh, way for us to know. There's no way for us to know. Uh, let's um let's talk about um May and Ben Parker. So we've got Aunt May, Uncle Ben, Cliff Robertson, and Rosemary Harris. Um, I think they both do a, like a pretty decent job. I mean, they're they're definitely on the older side of things. Um, yeah. in in this interpretation. Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben's 68 years old, apparently, um, in this movie. Yes. There you go. You wrote that down, didn't you? Because it might be a quiz question. That was in my mind. I remember him saying that. But um, I did remember also a uh, tidbit that he, he's, Cliff is actually older than that. So they, But even though that he was, he's older than 68, I don't know how old he I can't remember how old he was. But they still aged him. Like the makeup department still aged him. So it, clearly they wanted wanted um uh, you know um May and um Uncle Ben to look old look older. Mm. So so if they were uncle and auntie though, and and Peter Parker's only meant to be seventeen, it's like who the hell were his parents? You know how old were his parents? Kind of thing. You know? So I guess Ben had a, a fairly younger brother. They must have. Right? I mean, like a seventeen-year-old could have like a fifty-year-old parent. 50-year-old dad. 68-year-old dad? Not a 68-year-old, but like a 68-year-old could have a brother that's 50. Yes, okay. Yes, I mean, and then it works. And then that 50-year-old had a had a son 17 years earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean... So, with my interpretation, right, because I'm not as, as familiar with the, um, you know, the, the comics and, and, and all of the lore like you are, when I watched this movie, you know, for the first time and, and even now with these repeat viewings, I actually don't really look at them as, I know it's Uncle Ben, but I get that, but I actually look at them as grandparents and, and I'm fine with that. I think the relationship's still there. It doesn't really matter to me, you know. I know that the characters are aunt and uncle, I get it, but... I genuinely think that Ben and his sage advice that he has about, you know, responsibility, um, you know, and all of that stuff, that's the kind of thing that you would also receive from a grandparent, you know? I can see that just in terms of their age, like I get that, like that feel. Um, for, I think in the comments, like Aunt May was always a lot older than, um, yeah, let's say the, you know, like your aunt or, or uncle that you've probably got, you know, probably on the younger side of things, you know? I guess it'd be the same as your parents, so maybe not. I don't know. Depends. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's like, yeah, I guess like they're older, they're older characters, so it's like, yeah, you do get that vibe, that grandparent vibe. Um, but all they are, if we don't talk about the characters themselves, they're just full of love and full of support and full of love for each other, and they're quite. It's quite lovely to, you know, just to, they're, when they're on screen together, you know. And you can tell they're in a bit of financial trouble. Ben can't really find work and he's a laid off electrician. And you're just like, yeah, you feel for him. But they all they've got to do, all they've got to give is just love. <laughs> so it's just a beautiful and, and you can see how they influence um, you know, uh Peter with you know how his selfless attitude to things and how his self-deprecation, self-sacrifice, you see where it comes from with them, you know. So I think that they portrayed very, very well to to kind of create that world where you know Peter does put put uh, you know the rest of the world ahead of him himself. That's my interpretation, anyway. 
Yeah, and I think you see you see that a lot more, like in the in the second film, where you know, like Peter's obviously struggling himself with sort of financial stuff and all that, but then like Aunt May is then in a bit of strife as well with the bank and you know, like with the house and keeping that up and all that. Um, but what I found interesting in this movie is like you don't really realize, and uh, I didn't realize until after you know we watched this years years on, is that a lot of the relationship between Peter and Ben, you. You kind of learn and get more of in the second half of the movie, even though the characters already died, because it's more about Pete, well, like when Peter's talking about his relationship and talking about um, what he meant to him and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end, where he says, you know, like I had a father, his name was Ben Parker. You know, it's like, oh, it just really brings that home. But really, the scenes that he shares with Ben, like at the start, you know, like the first time uh, we see Peter and, and our main Uncle Ben interacting is that he's coming home after his spider bite. So he feels a little bit unwell. He literally goes straight upstairs. So he, he, he pretty much says nothing. Like, he, what do you say? Like, oh, had a bite. <laughs> goes, goes, up to his, goes up to his room. Um, yeah. And then the next interaction he has with them is sort of a bit of a, a bit of an awkward conversation in the morning about like, you know, going to the library, oh, I'll drive you. Oh, okay. And then the argument in the car. And then, you know, Ben's been shot and he's dying and it's like, Peter, Peter, oh, go Ben. Ah, ugly face, Toby. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the on-screen time we have with him. So we never actually see. Yeah. Peter. Oh, I guess there is one moment where it's like uh, in the morning, it's like, oh, yep, feeling much better. Yep, pain in the kitchen, uh, Michelangelo, you know, like uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yep, cool. But it's still Peter racing out the door. So there's really barely anything. But then, like, you know, it is still such an, it feels somehow, it still feels like such an established relationship. And it means so much. And just because it goes on about it. <laughs> and also, also, it feels real because that's, Kind of way. I remember, I remember when I was a teenager as well. There's so many times, probably just with my own parents, like I would have ran out the door or just or arrived home late or forgot to do mm. something that we committed to doing, and and you feel like a piece of shit afterwards. But that's what real life is like. So that's the relationship. With yeah, them. yeah. Until like if, if someone was looking in on that relationship that you're talking about, like they wouldn't necessarily say, "Oh, you've got a bad relationship with your parents" or whatever. They'd just be like. They would know that there's there's an established thing there, and you're just a busy guy, like right now because you're young, you're doing things, things are going on, and that's what's interesting. Like that's what's cool. This movie doesn't need to show us them actually having a relationship. Like it just sells us on it by the fact that there's so much emotion later on in regards to it, and it's yeah. like yeah, and it just feels feels very real. Um, but yeah, again later like. Obviously, Peter and Aunt May, and Aunt May is a, another just a foil for for Green Goblin to sort of attack and all of that. And yeah. you know, there, there's a nice there's a nice scene later on in, in the hospital bed where you know, Aunt May's talking about Mary Jane and you know you do too much. You're not Superman, you know. Love Superman references yeah. in Marvel movies. It's fantastic. <laughs> so you know, it's, they're all good. But speaking of um, characters that get kidnapped and uh, you know by the bad guy. Um, Mary Jane Watson, Kirsten Dunst. 
um, sporting the the very red hair. Later on, it's it's very much orange, but sporting the red hair in, in this movie. A lot of people over over the years, I've heard just a lot of negative things about Mary Jane Watson, um, Kirsten Dunst's performance, all that kind of stuff. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I I, I love it. I adore it. I adored her when I was a teenager. Like not just her as like, I don't. I I adored the character. I thought. I I know where some of the criticisms come from. Like she's very soft spoken and things. But part of that is the way she's speaking and articulating. Like just how much she feels for Peter. And I just like yeah. When I was a kid, I was in love with her. Even now, as an adult, watching like she's she genuinely cares about Peter. And just he's just waiting on an edge, just waiting for him to just commit, and he never does. And and you just feel for her and her performance. I think it's brilliant. Like like I said, she's soft spoken, but bloody Toby Maguire's Peter Parker is soft spoken. Like they both are very gently spoken people. But speak um, up, guys! Come on. <laughs> I think I think it was going back to the same before. It's all I think was intentional. So like all the, it's the tone that Raimi was trying to get. So I don't think this is in any way a bad performance from um, Chris, Kirsten Dunst. I think, and I have to admit, like, yeah, she, she was like, I was absolutely in love, just intoxicated by her as a teenager, you know, with these movies and, um, and just grew up with her. But that scene in the bloody rain with the upside down kiss and stuff, you know that that was created just for like basically teenage boys. You know it was. I mean, there's 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 nipples in that scene, man. Like that's and and I'm just saying, like, yeah. So, like, there's that. I think she's being used in this movie for you know for <laughs> her aesthetic reasons and the impact that it has on the audience. But her performance is brilliant. I I I understand where people are like, but I think it was and I loved it. Yeah, but I would, I would say though, Harry, the other side of things, I know you probably want to talk about Mary yourself, but I just want to say, Harry. So, if we're talking about those, those two kind of supporting, um, I can Franco was shit, <laughs> I thought he was useless. So anyway, <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, tell me, what do you think about Mary Jane? What do you, oh, yeah, we'll get to we'll get to James Franco in a minute. Um, but now, like, I, I can't really say, I can't say the performance is brilliant, but the performance is more than fine like the performance is there's literally nothing really wrong with it um and it's pretty much in par in terms of what we're getting from everyone else bar um what's his name willem dafoe like it's pretty much on par with with toby's performance james franco like you know it, it's it's all good like it does the part i mean i think one of the main criticisms a lot of people had with Maybe not so much Kirsten Dodds herself, but I guess the Mary Jane character is that she just kept getting kidnapped by the bad guy for Spider in every movie. Yeah. That, I mean, that's only bad by the time you get to the third film and you're just like, far out again. But in terms of just this movie, <laughs> if you just look at, it's like, well, of course you're a kid now. She's, the, she's a love interest. It's just when it happens multiple times, you're just like, holy shit. Like, yes, yes, she is in danger. Part of that as well is what I would like kind of just yeah, rebut there is the reason why he fiercely fights against being with her, Peter fights against being with MJ, is because of the danger that she will pose 
And then she still insists, you know, and in the second movie, she just chooses him regardless when she knows the truth and all of this. But she still ended up in danger in the second film. Because he's always in the he's always in danger and he never wants to be with her because of it. And yet she still manages to get bloody kidnapped. So <laughs> she does put herself in the situations though. Oh no, actually, no, that's a lie. So you know, she sometimes it just happens to be in a really bad time, bad situation. I can just I can just understand why people get annoyed out of her character. Yeah. Sort of thing. It's fine. I, I accept it. I <laughs> no, but I think she's She's pretty pleasant in this movie. In the second film, she's um, <laughs> she's she's probably a little bit annoying in the second one, even though Spider-Man Two is a fantastic film. She's she's sort of frustrating in terms of like just her demands of things. But then in the third film, yeah. I don't know. I I go back and forth as who I kind of hate more, her or Peter, because <laughs> Peter's being a bit of a dick in the third film. But, um, I haven't seen a third in about a decade, but I definitely hate Peter Moore. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> definitely hate. I definitely hate Peter Moore. Put that on the poster. Spider Man. I don't hate Maguire. I, I hate Peter. <laughs> I hate what they did. To, I just don't like what they did to him. But yeah, yeah it's well, pretty. Like, anyway, that's, that's Mary Jane. That's 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 Kirsten Dunst. All right, let's do it. Um, Harry Osborn. Yes. Say say so, so James Franco. Um, so again, this is um, you know they, they've introduced us to um, you know Harry Osborn, who is a character that wasn't introduced until you know Peter went to college, sort of thing in the comics. So we're getting him early on, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Could I be wrong? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so again, we're getting you know greatest hits. We're getting getting things early, but um, you know, I feel. <laughs> I feel like we get two versions of this character though in this movie. We get like the high school version, which is quite likable, you know, sort of like he's like a cool, even though he's like a rich kid, he wants to kind of be normal, just sort of fit in, he's kind of ashamed of like his rich heritage. We get that, but then later on when the Peter and Harry are living together, we kind of get a different um side of him. Like when he's with Mary Jane, he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> um, but also, like, yeah, I know they're playing into, and I know this is a lot of, oh, I don't want to say it's set up for the second one, but it's obviously setting up for potential future. But as you know, they weren't sure if there was going to be any more. Um, but there's a lot, of, you know, the, the jealousy of of the relationship between Peter and Norman, the jealousy between Peter and MJ, um, just just all all of that. Yeah. It's like that's sort of Harry very much plays a big part of his role is just sort of playing the observer of of everything with Peter and things that are happening and that stuff is just out of his control. But for me, for me, he just feels like the most ingenuine person. You know? <laughs> like maybe that's a testament to Franco's performance. Maybe I, I don't know, but he just like he doesn't seem to have loyalties. You know, like yeah, you know, like or genuine ones. You know, he just. He's friends with Peter, but he's also super happy to, you know, he, you know, each to their own. He dates MJ, but he keeps it a secret. Like it's just, yeah, like he knows he's sort of doing something wrong. But I mean, he makes a fair point though. It's like Peter never made a move. So it's sort of like, I don't know. It's it's justified, I'm, and and also, you know, MJ chooses who she wants. So so be it. That's not it's not. Mm. It's more. He, I just feel like he's always kind of 
Like there's just he's he doesn't have any commitment to anybody. Even MJ when he's with her, like he just doesn't see. I don't. I don't know. I just don't like him. I guess there's a bit where where it's like he says like oh you know after after the um, Unity Day uh, parade thing, and it's like he's talking to MJ on the phone. And it's like oh you know uh, let me buy you something and make you feel better, like because I want to because I want to do it. Like let me do it. It's just like yeah, he just thinks like that's the solution to issues make everything better and that's what i and yeah i don't, I don't agree with it because it's like yeah she just had a life of death experience it's like you, know, mm. you should be with her right there not not on the phone to her but it, it, there's a really good moment where um during thanksgiving you know like um that mj stands up for herself and you know calls harry out for not defending him when his father basically accuses her of um you know just sniffing around for for his money and just yeah. Basically, yeah, use it for what you want it for and then like get rid of a broomer fast and he says nothing and yeah. so it's like yeah, it's good that she has the balls to stand up and call him out. Yeah. So I do like that part of her character and kind of puts Harry in his place. But it kind of shows yeah, a little bit of a hint there, you know, he he, he screams back at her. It's like if I become half the man he is, um, you know, then I've done all right. Which is funny because you know, he will become sort of Goblin Jr. <laughs> in time. But just on his character, though, when you, like, all of the second film, it's just him basically harassing Peter. He's just drunk for the whole movie. Just be like, turn in Spider-Man. Like, who is he? Tell me who it is. Blah, 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 blah. And then the third movie, you know, like, he's Goblin for, you know, a good five minutes. And then suddenly he has that he has that injury to his head and then i i guarantee i know we're talking about the third movie and, and one day we probably will talk about Spider-Man three but it's like in that third film i don't even think james franco is taking the role seriously because literally every line that he delivers i'm like is he taking the piss like, like he's in hospital mary jane walks in and, he, and he's like I know that face. And then later on, Mary Jane's like, oh, I wish I got a bump on the head. And he taps her on the head. Bump, like, <laughs> I don't know what yeah. he's doing, but what he's doing, it's really weird. It's just really strange. Yeah. So I don't know. He's a strange man. He's <laughs> a strange man. Strange man. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I stand, I stand by my, my assessment of his performance here. And I do not like it. I do not like, do not like the character. Um, and I do not like James Franco's performance, so I'm very happy that he dies. Um, spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> In time. Uh, or does he? Uh, anyway, no, he does. He does. He does. All right. Um, speaking of all things goblins and Osborns and all of that, the man himself, Norman Osborn, Willem Dafoe. Jeez, he's good. He's so good. He's so good. I, mean, I already mentioned. I already mentioned his his grin, his facial expressions that he can make. Like, like this man is a true thespian. Like, he is a performer. And it is a shame, yeah, for the majority of the movie, they do hide him behind the mask. Um, I mean, they do have bits where, like, you know, his mouth is open, so then you can see Willem Dafoe's mouth underneath the goblin mouth. Um, Did you know, though, have you noticed, he doesn't blink when he's wearing the mask. He does not blink. You, he, he just stares. <laughs> Every time he blinks is when he's squinting, like as in as part of the, you know, that additional persona of like, you know, being angry or something, but he doesn't actually blink. It's just so intense. So 
Um, and he, you know, when he's Norman, he's he's fine. But it's just that when he's in that Green Goblin persona, he's wearing the mask and his eyes are open, and they they're real. He's just not blinking. He's and his mouth is moving. You can see it. It's all dialogue. But yeah, it's brilliant. I think he's it's just such an intense performance and over the top. Like probably didn't even need to go as hard as he did. You know, but he did. Yeah. I hope we get. I hope we get some such good screen time with this movie coming up because I, as in, I hope he gets a bit of time because I think he was he was amazing in this movie. I really do. Is it even Willem Dafoe under that goblin mask? <laughs> we'll find out. Now, but look, when a lot of his performance, like even when it's over the top and it's crazy, it's like it's justified because it's like, what is this like? Um, you know body enhancer serum thing doing to him it's, it's making him basically crazy um and you can believe you're like, okay like that's why he's a nut that's what you know like when he's in that boardroom he's being like go i mean actually that's a fair response <laughs> he's screaming you know like you can't do this to me i built this company do you know how much i sacrificed and it's like yeah good point <laughs> i probably you know um you know the ag- aggression um you know dogs up on aggression body enhancers yeah yeah or not like that's a fair response i feel like anyone would pretty much do that um but yeah a lot of his over-the-top performances like it's great again it goes in line with it what you know the sort of tone and corniness and cheesiness of this movie but at the same time he's actually doing a really good job in being just a crazy cracker like he's, he's insane i love it yeah, I think it's good. And and you said so um Green Goblin is actually one of the standout villains generally in the comic, like traditionally within the comic books, right? He's like he is like the joker to Batman. Like he right. is Green Goblin is the guy. He's the guy. I mean he killed, he killed Peter Parker's love interest, Gwen Stacy. Yeah, right. So Who's it? it was Electro who did that, right? In in the movies? Yeah. No, it was um oh the Amazing Spider-Man 2. That was the other goblin. That was the Harry Osborne goblin. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very confusing. Oh, very confusing stuff. Can't wait to see him in um Far From Home, No Way Home. God, it's too hard. <laughs> Imagine. Um Dane DeHaan is back as goblin in Spider-Man No Way Home. No one's talking about that, are they? <laughs> I walk out of the cinema. You might have to grab me and stop me from doing it. We'll see. Do you know what I want? I know we keep getting sidetracked with this. There's no way home talk, but this is the reason we're doing this podcast today is because of that movie. So I think it's a to laugh. Do you know who? No one's talking about it. And I want. I want the. I think he's. Did you, he, I mean, this character isn't introduced until Spider-Man Two, but I know you recently watched that movie as well. So, um, Dylan Baker, Doctor Kurt Connors. Who never got his shot? Who never got his shot as the lizard? I feel like if you gotta bring someone back to give him their due, bring him back. Mind you, if they were if they were gonna if they were planning a fourth movie, maybe they were gonna do it. You know, I don't know who the villain was gonna be for that, but I think there, there was there was talks to have him be the villain to be the, the lizard. Someone, I think uh, Spider Man Four. Uh, what they were gonna go with was um, was Vulture, and then there was some weird. There was some weird, like, additional stuff. Anne Hathaway was cut. Like, I think, um, oh, oh, what's his name? Uh, ben Kingsley was cast as the Vulture. And then there was a role created for Anne Hathaway 
um, who was to play the Vultress, like basically like a sidekick of the Vulture, like a female just sidekick. Right. I, I don't know. It, it might have worked. They might have scrapped that character. But yeah, like they were both cast. Like it was all happening yeah, right. until they pulled the plug. Yeah, with, with Connor though, um, Connor's, they mention him in this movie. They mention him in the first movie, but they don't. But I swear Peter says that it's a, something about his lecturer. Oh, yeah, no, he says... Um, yeah, no, he, I think he's talking about... A, it's like a job that he's been fired from or something, and it's like, oh, Dr. Connors fired me. fired him, and I was like, I don't... I, when he said Connors, I turned around to, you know, wife for the pod, Laura, and I said, pretty sure that's Lizard in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And then, you know, when we're watching this number two, I was like, that's Lizard. <laughs> what, yeah. What's going on? I don't know. Is that what you want? No, nah, so, I mean, that line in this movie is just a throwaway Easter egg. Again, bear in mind, they yeah. weren't thinking of, oh, we're building a... a yeah, so it's like, hey, let's just name drop Dr. Connors because that's, you know, a big character in the comics and stuff like that. You even notice when we get to the Daily Bugle, you know, they're talking about trying to get photos of Spider-Man and Robbie says, um, you know, we've had Eddie on it all week. Yeah, absolutely. Again, an Easter egg for, for Eddie Brock, but um, obviously they um, change that up when we get to the third film. And you know, again, just like a throwaway line. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they, I mean, in the, in the second movie, they also mentioned Doctor Strange too. Oh <laughs> yes, ah, good name. That's taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's taken already. What's good is that um. Because when we rewatched these movies um, recently, like you know, obviously watching it with the wife, um, and she hadn't seen the these uh, Sam Raimi films for years, kind of thing, and now they're obviously like Doctor Doctor Strange is now a very well known character and things. But Lion got a big chuckle out of it because she knew who she knew who Doctor Strange was, like you know, like in Spider Man yeah. Two. So she's sort of like like ah, and I was like. I was like, oh man, like just 19 years too late, you know, all good, <laughs> but better late than never. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. I didn't know, I didn't know it either until pretty much the, you know, the MCU established the, the property. I don't, had no idea about it, you know. Mm. So. Well, I guess we're talking, we're talking Daily Bugle now, I guess, but we're there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we might as well. And I mean, the, the man, the man of the hour, J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson, the role he was born to play twice. <laughs> yeah. Twice. Oh, it's so, it's so good. So good they brought him back in a different universe, in a different film franchise. Yeah. Although, yeah, yeah, I mean, God, I'm just so, I don't quite understand how it all works, but I'm very excited to see how they flesh it out. But, um, it's uh yeah his portrayal here it's cool. I remember what you were saying before about how this is a timeless kind of movie, um and the Daily Bugle office is kind of dated in its sense, you know, like it's mm. as in we can, it just it's like it's a throwback to the old old you know and that's that's exactly what um J.K. Simmons' portrayal is of of J J Jonah or whatever his name is. He just feels like an old pre man from the press, you know, from you know decades ago. Oh, he literally was decades ago, but you know what I mean, like seventy, yeah. that that kind of thing. And it's just so that's such an over the top performance. I think it's it's so quick and witty and just quick paced with everybody coming in and out of the room, asking, getting his attention. <laughs> the way the cliche way he hates his wife, <laughs> you know, like 
and she's always on the line. And oh, I just think it's it's such a highlight in the movie when it, when you have just you know him on screen and him interacting with either you know Peter Parker or the other you know everybody else in the office, and how he's so dismissive. It's like you know you're fired. No, you're unfired. Or you know <laughs> where have you been? Me. I think it's great. I think it's it's fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they they work with him in the next movie. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally this uh, interpretation of the character literally just lifted from the page of the comics um, or the, even like the animated shows. That you, you'd see the character just like that before, that very aggressive, gruff kind of newspaper head. Um, I like. Yeah, and I think the only way to lift it in such a way that's so accurate is to create that that vibe around him. Um, again, that timeless sort of like, where, when are we? Like, what is this? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and it's brilliant. And everybody else in the office as well at the bugle, they they're such cool little caricatures of um, you know, just like yeah, that cliche newsroom kind of thing from back in the seventies. We've got a whole bunch of um, names here. We've got Bill Nunn as uh, Robbie Robertson, uh, Ted Raimi as Ted Hoffman. Ted Raimi is um, Sam Raimi's brother, fun fact there. Yeah. Um, and then big name here, uh, Elizabeth Banks as yeah. Betty Brandt, which is just very cool to have her, <laughs> have her there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Elizabeth Banks, actually, she went for um, the role of MJ. I don't know if you knew that or not. Oh, yeah. I did not. How amazing. Yeah. Now she works works well as um as Betty Brown, and it's good to have um a more I guess a more accurate Betty Brant character <laughs> one. Not that I um what's her name like um Angori Rice or something? I think the the blonde girl who plays Betty in um the Tom Holland films, the child, the one that looks like Gwen Stacy, but is named Betty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. She is all right, but um. Yeah, no, good. Just just a good, fun environment. Like, I always have this inkling that Robbie kind of knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but he doesn't tell anyone. Like, he's just, like, always has, I don't know, he just has this vibe about him. And um, yeah, Ted's Ted's always good value, just sort of sucking hole <laughs> up, to, up to Jameson. Yeah, I do like, um, yeah, I like the dynamic. Yeah, especially, yeah, Ted's just like, yeah, an absolute kiss-ass. But Robbie, Robbie is just kind of, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I picked up that vibe that maybe he knew what was going on. But I know that he definitely has an appreciation for Spider Man, and he's like, you know, you got Peter Peter Parker. Yeah, he's he's always defending him. He's like, I'll make it work, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, like he's Robbie's the first one to be like, like. He was saving people, you know, like he pulled X amount of people out of the subway or whatever it was. And, you know, Jake has like, oh, you know, crash that he probably caused and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, cool. it's cool. Maybe I'm thinking of like later on. It might be the, maybe it was the second film or maybe the third one where it's like there's a moment where it's like Robbie goes, oh, I heard Spider-Man was there. And then him and Peter just sort of like look at each other. <laughs> like There's this weird eye moment. I don't know. I don't know. Am I with the second one? Like, I heard Spider-Man was it? Anyway, saw this movie, so not relevant. 
Yeah, I don't think I saw it. Yeah, so I don't think I saw it in the second one. So it might be the third even, but I don't know. Sure. Let's move on from all these characters. Um, obviously, they're a whole lot of fun and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think what we really need to cap this uh, review off with is the special effects. Yeah. Do they hold up? Yeah. Are they good? I mean, let's just start with saying, like, they are an achievement. Like, holy shit, what we're getting on screen is there's some fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. However... <laughs> Does it hold up? That's the question. That is the question. So, I reckon the answer to that is meh. <laughs> Dance around it. Dance around a little bit. I think the um, Spider Man in his Spider Man suit swinging around, pretty solid stuff. Like, yeah. just magical on screen. Um, Gets me giddy every every time I see it. Again, that Danny Elfman score as well, going along with it, like just incredible. Um, but you put you put Peter Parker in his like sort of homemade. Well, I guess they're both homemade. I don't really. Again, I don't know how they'll make. But like his first initial like red, yeah, tracksuit jumper sweater thing. You get that. Like there's actually a moment where like Peter's running down the street into an alleyway and then you can see the moment it transitions into a cartoon and it looks like a cartoon it looks like uh, just like cgi that just needed a few more layers of rendering and detail uh, it doesn't there's no life to it there's no weight uh, it looks pretty looks pretty shocking but i mean again like watching it in the cinema or multiple times when i was a kid like made no like, i took no notice of it but I feel like it looks worse every time I watch this movie. <laughs> it's shocking. Um, definitely. So I remember when it first came out, it was it was mind blowing. Everything was great. But definitely, if you remember what I said at the top about the visual effects, where they um, you know they composited um, Tobey Maguire's eyes onto that tracksuit kind of thing. That you know it look, it, that looks great to a point. But the textures on the tracksuit itself, and it's just. So the movements are actually kind of fine to me, I feel, you know, when they're walking, when he's climbing up the wall and stuff and the way he's looking around. So the movement, I feel, is accurate and great. But there's the textures. They just feel, I guess, there's synthetic. They're not, not quite there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, if they ever remastered it, you know, they might be able to correct it a little bit. But um, you are right. There's a few moments there when it transitions as well and you're like, I can see it now. Oop, I can see it. What it is, it's like this, I, one of the things that these movies suffer from is a big over-reliance on just CGI is the only tool we'll use here. You know, we've always talked about, you know, blending it and using it as a tool, not your actual medium. Whereas yeah. in this, it's like, hey, to create this image, we're going to create this character out of CGI instead of, hey, we're going to, we're going to, use the physical person and do things with them and then incorporate them digitally into this and manipulate it with this digital effect and uh, the background will be digital or something it's just like no we're going to create a 3d model of this person and they're going to then do the movement in animation form and it's like yeah. no it, we, we just weren't quite there yet however again at the same time it's like the fully fledged Spider-Man suit looks great doing the same thing, swinging through and through the buildings and, and stuff like that. Even like when he's holding, 
you know, like Mary Jane, like that looks okay. It's any traditions because he uses these different arms, so he literally lets go of her and swings and changes his arms. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's all you know the the weight there because when he grabs her again, like you could feel him, you could see his body dropping down and all this. Like it's all it's it's really really well done. But I think it's yeah, it's an element of some of the the the, the uh, texturing and the rendering on it. It's just doesn't quite feel right on some mm. of it. And then other things, yeah, there are a few weightless moments and things. What I said before, though, the way that they, um, you know, a lot of the web sling and stuff, that is all pretty much CG for the most part. But the way that they somehow made it feel elastic, like I, that, that there is, I think, the achievement, you know, is where, you know, where he's either slingshotting something at somebody and stuff like that. And, and that's all, clearly it's all CG, but they managed to put weight behind that. So that's where I get a bit confused where the character itself sometimes doesn't have the right um, gravity to it, but they've managed to really accurately represent, um, you know, the physics and gravity in objects that are being thrown around everywhere and the way he's slinging everywhere. So it's a bit, bit of a weird one. So you can, you can notice that, you know, 20 years ahead now, you can definitely notice it more than what you did when we were in the cinemas, clearly, but um, it does detract a little bit, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, when, when your movie turns into a cartoon, it, it is a little bit distracting. Um, <laughs> it sucks to know. It sucks to know. Um, but for the most part, like, you know, a lot of the action and a lot of the actual visuals that we are getting, you know, fairly decent, you know, Goblin on his glider, you know, the the stuff at the Unity Day Fair and, you know, later on at the, um, on the bridge, um, when they're in the burning building and stuff like that. Like, there's lots of cool moments where it's like, this looks... This looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. Um, a lot of the hand-to-hand -hand sort of combat and fighting you know, can look kind of, again, it's that cheesiness, almost like pretty... Maybe that's what Roger Ebert was talking about in terms of, like, action. Like, you got the moment where, like, Goblin and, um, and Spider-Man are standing in the middle of, of the square there, you know, like, whilst they're listening to Macy Gray. Um, really weird sort of standout, dated... Uh, music <laughs> listening back um, but they're standing there and it's like they're just kind of blowing punches at each other it's like no oh, it's like not really eventful it, that's when it kind of feels like hey are we watching power rangers where it's just like one will punch one and the other will punch the other and it's like one will go flying it's like Ugh. it's not really too much yeah like they're not doing too much it's just sort of like they're just kind of hustling <laughs> and one of them gets thrown backwards so it's like yeah yeah even at the very end when it's like a lot more grittier and stuff like that and you know they're at that sort of abandoned building that's sort of falling to pieces it's like one of them will get thrown into a wall but then the wall will just like fall and it's like are they really bricks or are they are they like foam painted foam blocks and it's like yeah well, I'm sorry sorry to say it Jason that but they're probably not bricks they probably are yes but but you got to make them feel and look and sound like like bricks and not. Oh. Yeah, this got a nomination for best visual effects in the Oscars. Yeah, but all they were looking at were the Spider-Man suit swinging around the city. But again, that's what I was talking about. Like, like the props and things that the set design. Like, there's something kind of cheap looking about it, but at the same time, it really it still works. Like, I'm not actually saying this as a negative. I'm just like, it's just the feel of the movie that it has but it yeah. kind of works within the world that it's built and the tone that the movie set. 
so strange. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I think my favourite, if you're talking about a visual effects shot, my favourite shot probably is that exploding grenade that kind of just tears through his, his, his um, I guess, his mask and his, his outfit and all that. Mm. Um, so when we're talking about, you know, action set pieces and all of that and, and the visual effects elements, that to me felt real and visceral and I really, really like that. But I can see, you know, some of the other criticisms around, you know, clunky Power Rangers fights and things like that for sure. I get it. I understand. There's this one moment where where Spider-Man like creates like a full, you know, like like a human-sized web, like a big round web thing, and then Green Goblin walks through it like he rips it into pieces. And yeah. it's like the whatever they use to make that webbing like on set was some sort of wire or, or something. So as it falls, it falls like like a hard not like super hard but like a uh, harder than webbing like like a hard material but then they've also added a sound effect that almost sounds like clunky metal so i'm just like is it actually metal like what are they what is this <laughs> it's very i don't know there's just moments like that that it's just like ah, I don't know. it just it kind of goes into that power rangers vibe of like uh this is a bit silly but again, it works. That's where, that's where the outfit stands out the most in, in some cases. Is like is that as in that commentary on how it is, is a little bit a bit over the top and a bit Power Ranger is because of everything else going on as well. It? In action, when when he's walking around and or he's flying around, I don't necessarily see it, but it's yeah 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 right there, like you said, when he's trying to rip through cobwebs and things. Yeah, it looks a little bit looks a bit shit. Oh, how about how about when Goblin um, when when they're doing that test flight, that Quest is doing that test flight, and the Goblin comes in and he blows up like all those people. Um, actually, actually, with that one, that's actually not too bad. And then there's this great transit as like the bricks and stuff are sort of flying up. It transitions to like the mortarboard, um, like the graduation ceremony. Best transition I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So what I was actually thinking of um, was more no on the balcony where he throws the pumpkin bomb and everyone turns into skeletons and disintegrates. Yeah, yeah that's pretty shit. That, that's pretty terrible. I like that. One where Laura, Laura definitely pointed that one out. Like, oh, what was that? <laughs> I, I just love what you just said. You're like, oh yeah, that was pretty shit. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. When you think about it, in fact, actually, the uh, the inflatables as well of the parade, I wasn't that wasn't that impressed with them either. But. I do know what. Oh, that you know, never mind. Like you think Macy Gray would be the worst thing at that thing, but just that kid, that kid standing there, and it's like I'm just going to assume his, his name is Billy because I just assume he's Billy. And the mum's just like, Billy, get out of the way! And it's, it's like the, he's just standing up, move, kid. That's unfortunately that's a, what a, that's a Darwin thing, you know. He should have he should have he should have bit it, bit it right then. That should have, it should be a dead kid, and that would be yeah. one less stupid child. Well, sorry, but uh, he was frustrating. It's just staring, it's just staring at it. It's like, mm. <laughs> yes. All right. Why any any last thoughts? Any final words before we go to our quiz? Uh, I think look, I think we have said enough words, Jason. <laughs> All right. Well, on that then, on those fine um, that fine statement, let's do yeah. ten questions in approximately sixty seconds. I've got something yeah. prepared here. Might have just been pulled from the internet. 
I won't tell you otherwise. Um, but are you ready to go? I am, and I'm nervous, but yeah, go on. All right, let's do it. What was Peter doing when he was bitten by a spider? Taking photos. Of? Of Mary Jane. Correct. What does the... What does the bully do to Peter when Peter's looking for a seat on the bus? Tripping over. Correct. What are Norman's first words when he wakes up after the experiment goes wrong? Oh. This is like one of the greatest lines, and I say it a lot. I said it a lot after I had my first kid. I no, I do not remember. I do not remember. Nope. All right, we'll come back to that. Um, Peter falls ill after being bitten by the spider. What's the first change he notices when he wakes up? Uh, his eyesight. Is it his eyesight? Uh, correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, when Mary Jane slips and Peter catches her and her food, which of these items is not on the tray? Milk, an apple, a taco, or a sandwich? I reckon a taco. Correct. <laughs> Just a little bit out of place. Uh, what's Peter's motivation for trying to win money by entering a fight? He wants to buy a car to impress MJ. That's what he wants. To Correct. What does Peter call himself that the ring announcer finds so boring he changes it to the amazing Spider-Man? Human spider, I believe. Correct. Um, what musical artist performs at the Unity Day Festival? <laughs> it is mostly great. Correct. What does Spider-Man say before Mary Jane lowers his mask and kisses him? Oh, don't. <laughs> I can't remember. Don't do it. Incorrect. We'll come back to it. <laughs> um, how does Norman Green Goblin find out Spider-Man's identity? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can't remember. No, no. Hey? Yeah, okay. It's, it's not there. In your brain. No, no, sorry. Uh, he uh, got <laughs> a cut on his arm. So he cut on his arm at Thanksgiving. Yeah, after he beat an old lady with a stick, of course. All right, I'll give that one to you. Correct. Um, how did Spider-Man's mask get half torn apart? With a pumpkin bomb blowing up next to him, or grenade, or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and lastly, uh, what does Green Goblin say just as he realises he's accidentally going to be impaled by his own glider? Oh, Correct. Correct. All right, without counting, I do believe you got eight out of ten, correct? So well done. Um, let me just quickly check which questions you got incorrect. Oh, when um when Norman wakes up, he says back to formula. Oh, yeah, that's right. Then he kills that dude. Yeah, yeah. I always, always said it. Every time we were, like, trying to wean my son off um, of formula and it was sort of like we realised he still kind of needed it or he had an attachment to it, we, I was always like, like, you know, the wife would be like, oh, 
go on, like we have to go buy another bottle for uh, another tin of formula. I'm like, back to formula. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, I'm a loser. Um, and what was the other? Oh yeah, when um the upside down kiss, upside down kiss. Um, Spider Man says, wait. He says, wait. And then kisses him anyway. Well, she falls on last now. It's all very exciting. Just speaking of that kiss, though. Just speaking of that kiss. I mean, I don't want to overshare too much, but obviously you're you're aware of how much this movie influenced my life and stuff like that. Let's just say, without going into too much detail, that Spider-Man kiss has has very very influenced my my teenage years. <laughs> I'm just saying, it came into play quite a lot <laughs> it's, been, it's been in my it's been in my mind once or twice in my, in my life as well definitely <laughs> just in your mind and me kissing me kissing girls upside down or <laughs> yeah, yeah something like that not upside down maybe maybe you know in the second movie when she does it um mj does it to her fiance mm, mm, yeah <laughs> yeah because i'm not very good at hanging upside down on a rope <laughs> it's the only alternative for me so yeah, no, all the blood rushes to the head. All right, mate, we've done it. We've done it. Let's um, let's do our rating. Five out of yeah. uh, something out of five. <laughs> it just takes. What was I going to say? I don't know. Um, you go first. Tell me what you think of Spider Man. So uh, this movie, yep, yeah, I watched it. You know, watched it a few times. I'm not anywhere clearly, obviously, attached to it as what you are. However, I do have an appreciation for it. Watching it for, you know, watching it in this new, this, you know, this most recent watch that I've had, the only thing that really jumped out to me that it was, was negative that I hadn't already picked up was maybe the special effects element. Some, some things were a bit more um, dated than what I had expected, perhaps. So it loses a little bit of points for that. But um, ultimately, like, I appreciate this movie for what it is and the, the campiness and the dorkiness I feel like it was all intentional and intentional on behalf of the director and the actors. And so I appreciate it, not necessarily think it's a, a fault. Um, but I, I, you know, it's not a perfect movie by any chance, really, but it is good fun. So I would say it sits with a solid four for me. It's good fun. It's good fun. And, and you can rewatch it millions of times. Anybody should watch it if you haven't already. Go watch this bloody movie. Four out of five VHS tapes. Jason. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so, um, of course, this movie very, very near and dear to my my inner workings, um, and I guess always will be. But I mean, I've, I, yeah. To to be truthful, like yeah, like some of the effects, like pretty, like they they're pretty rough. There's a few, but at the same time, some really amazing um, music, fantastic. Um, Performances are fine, although, like, again, with, like, all the campiness and the cheesiness of it, Tobey Maguire's sort of the take on his character. Um, I have to admit, like, I think the more I watch the movies, especially, you know, with the different interpretations that we've seen sort of in, in more modern times, it is becoming sort of harder to sort of, you know, like, yeah. really feel and take these movies in uh, for what they are. But although, I mean, I will say, like, you know, showing my hand early, but Spider-Man 2 is still one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. And I think it always, always will be kind of thing um, to me anyway. So, I mean, we're getting more Tobey Maguire in that. So, yeah, again, I'm not looking at it too much, but it is, 
it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a like a detraction, I guess. Um, and look, like yeah, besides like cheesiness and corniness, um, the movie not perfect, but bloody hell, they did a they did a really good job of executing a live action Spider Man, and I think they Sam Raimi was really able to refine and deliver in the follow up. So I think lots of all sorts of lessons learned and mistakes made in this first movie came to a came to a, um, uh, a satisfying uh, delivery in the second one. Um, but for this one, I'm still you know going pretty high because it's still a lot of fun. A big, much like you, four stars or four VHS tapes. What am I doing? Four out of five <laughs> for me as well. So good stuff. Yeah. All righty. Well, Mike, that's it. That was our review to 2002 Spider-Man. Oh, yes. Now, uh, we hope you all enjoyed this episode of Rewind and Review. As always, we'll remind you that any feedback, even either positive or negative, or any rewind requests, they can be sent to us via email at thatfilmstewpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on either That Film Street or Rewind and Review's Facebook pages. Like and follow these pages whilst you're at it. Subscribe and leave us a review at SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts as it does help others like yourself find that podcast, find our podcast even. Keep an eye out for that film series review of Spider-Man No Way Home. Holy shit, we're watching it tomorrow. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, we've already watched it. Um, And I guess if you're listening to this the first day we post this, it will be... Um, we will be posting the review tomorrow, um, but whatever. I don't know. Lots of confusing statements there. Either way, keep an eye out for it. It might be out already. Whatevs. I'm done now. <laughs> all, all good. Yeah, keep an eye out for it. Um, now, if you're wondering what's up next for us, though, on Rewind and Review, if you're ready, take a listen to this cue. Here we go. One, two, three. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? I'm just going to say, it is amazing that you're committed to doing a horror movie. That this is, yeah, yeah, good. (laughs) (laughs) This is something, this is something new. Well, the better of the podcast is for you. (laughs) And you never... You've never seen that this movie? I'll say it once. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So you'll be okay. You'll be fine. All right, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Kid, Jesus. Thank you for listening. This has been another rewind and review. This has been 19 years in the making. Um, I now feel a little bit healthier and better off. <laughs> See you. See you on our next trip. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.